Welcome, and thank you for joining us on Birth Mother Matters in Adoption with Kelly Rourke Scary, where we delve into the issues of adoption from every angle of the adoption triad. Kelly is the executive director, president, and co-founder of Building Arizona Families Adoption Agency in Phoenix, Arizona, the Donna K. Evans Foundation, and the You Before Me campaign. She has a bachelor's degree in family studies and human development and a master's degree in education with an emphasis in school counseling. She was adopted when she was three days old. She was born to a teen birth mother raised in a closed adoption and reunited with her birth mother in 2007. Our goal with the Birth Mother Matters and Adoption podcast is to spread awareness and education about the beautiful choice that is adoption. So in today's podcast, we are going to take a look at current studies and research. There's a wealth of information out there on substance use and pregnancy. And we're going to discuss this today because we do work with women and a lot of the women that we're working with who are pregnant are using substances. There is a variety of illegal drugs that a lot of the women are using. And one of the main questions that families or couples or or single people are always asking when they're looking into adopting is, what about substance abuse? You know, what about if I am matched with a birth mom who is using drugs? Like, what are the effects? What's going to happen? And we're not a medical facility. We're not doctors. All we can do is is direct you to the experts in the uh, medical area. However, what we're going to do today is just look at some of the research that has been uh, published, and we're going to go through some of it so that we can talk about what it's saying on paper and what we're seeing as well on the front lines with moms when they are using drugs. Uh, at the end of this podcast, Ron, you're going to go back through and you are going to cite all the sources so that we can stay focused on what the actual research is and not flood our listeners with a with a bunch of citations. And we'll just right. do those websites again. and all that. Right. Since the late 1980s, a lot of policymakers have been pouring themselves into trying to figure out how we as a society should deal with the issue of substance abuse during pregnancy. Here in Arizona, many years ago, it was a law that it would be considered child abuse if you were using drugs while you are pregnant because you are exposing your unborn baby to the same drugs that you are using. And I have to say in being in the adoption world for 18 and a half years, I have never seen anybody prosecuted or do jail time for doing drugs while they're pregnant. I just have not seen it. Have you with with your wife's firm? No, never, never. I didn't even realize until just now that that was a law in Arizona, that that would be considered child abuse. And before I got into the adoption world with my wife, I would have completely agreed with that. But I think the problem is so prevalent that it's it's unenforceable, first of all. And second of all, when you see the other side of it, the birth mothers who are dealing with this, you know, I didn't deal with a lot of people who would have taken drugs while pregnant, but it's not like they're choosing to. It's kind of, you know, they are addicted and I don't know the answer to the question, but uh, yeah, this is a horrible 
situation we've got, especially with the fentanyl. I would say without a doubt, it's, you know, it's a pandemic mm-hmm. and it's getting uh, progressively worse, not better. And, you know, for years and years and years as a country, we've always looked to Ohio of all states, the state I'm ironically from, as kind of what's coming down the pike. You know, th- that's where a lot of the the drug trends begin is in like the area around Middletown, Ohio. Hmm. And, you know, with with fentanyl, I think it's become rampant everywhere. <laughs> you know what I mean? It wasn't that wasn't a drug, I think, that was so much filtered down and expanded. I think that I, I think it just exploded basically all over the United States. And what's so scary about fentanyl, and I think one of the biggest, I would say, unknown facts for people who aren't knowledgeable about drug use in today's society is that, you know, fentanyl, everyone says, well, it's the little blue pill. It's the little blue pill. Well, it is the little blue pill. Um, But, you know, people are smoking it, ingesting it. I mean, there's all different kinds of ways to consume it. And because it's so inexpensive, it's often being used now as a filler in a lot of other drugs. And so when a woman who's pregnant maybe thinks she's buying marijuana, she's not just buying marijuana, possibly. If she's not getting it from a dispensary, she's if she's getting it off the street, there's a very good possibility that fentanyl may be in that mm-hmm. drug. And now you've got a, you know, a poly substance issue because you're you're dealing with more than just one drug. And she may not even be initially aware that there was anything in the marijuana. And so she may become addicted without realizing to the that full she extent. Even of- took it. Yeah. I mean, when you think about drugs, you know, we didn't, our, our agency is in Phoenix and we work around the population that we help. And so, you know, drugs like cocaine are not drugs that we see very often because that was always looked at as the rich man's drug, you know, that, that that's not something that you would typically see somebody who's homeless use it. And the scary part is, is fentanyl has become so inexpensive. I've heard from multiple people that it's, it's now as low as 50 cents a pill. And so we're talking exceedingly inexpensive, Mm -hmm. which broadens the group that can afford it. And so I think that that's terrifying because with this very inexpensive yet very potent drug, you know, we are hurting the people that are ingesting it, but also the ones that aren't even born yet for those moms that are using drugs while they're pregnant. And I think that that's just frightening. So this podcast is, you know, for everyone to learn just a little bit more because when we know more, we can do better as a society. So I'm really on the fence about this because for the most part, I'm a law and order guy, you know, and I, I, but I also can empathize with the people who are, are stuck in this cycle. And, you know, it's hard to come down on them when it's, I don't even know what to say, how to put it, you know, do you know what I'm kind of getting at or you're saying to penalize them, um, is is hard you know especially i think when a woman is doing you know when she has an adoption plan and is um addicted to you know x amount of drugs or one drug and she places her baby for adoption i I do see where there is 
some forgiveness on that because she's trying to do the right thing when the baby is the baby is born. Exactly. Uh, and then so you want to give them a little grace in that situation, you know, because they are trying to do something better for the baby. And if you come down hard on them, they're going to say, I want nothing to do with this whole process. I don't want anything to do with these people. They're just coming down on me. So, yeah, it's a tough. It is a really it is a really, really tough quandary. And I think that's a really good word for it, because when adoptive parents are not educated on what this looks like in real time, you know, they will say, well, we want a drug test. Well, we want to know exactly. And I am not a proponent for drug for an agency drug testing birth mothers, because my biggest concern is, is you're going to get a fault. You're going to get a false negative because they know how to play the game. They know how to, you know, if they know they're going to be tested, they know how in a lot of cases to not let it come up positive. And so the other thing is, is that in the state of Arizona, if a birth mother tests positive for drugs during her pregnancy, they have to report it to, we call it, it's the department of child safety, but in most States it's called CBS. So again, when you're stacking the deck against a birth mother, um, you're going to have a very angry individual and that can negatively affect her wanting to place her baby. So we walk a very fine line. We leave the drug testing and the drug treatment to professionals. So those are handled by the OBGYNs and whatever referrals that are in the community that we can, you know, talk to a birth mom about or have her receive something from her doctor. Because as an agency, I think you do have to be very careful that you stay in your own lane. And what that means is that we're there to help her with her adoption. You know, we're not there to solve her childhood issues with her mother or rebuild her credit or help her uh, break her substance addiction. Mm -hmm. We're there to uh, assist her with her adoption plan. And, and that's our primary focus. Uh, unfortunately, one issue often bleeds into another one. And when the issues bleed over, that's where we can, you know, provide direction and referrals. Because again, this isn't, we have a pregnant woman that we're working with and she is a poly substance abuser. She's using more than one drug at a time. So we, we can't make that our focus because our, our focus has to be her adoption plan. Mm -hmm. And then in our aftercare program, we can, again, assist with referrals and getting her, you know, connected with the right people. In the state of Arizona, we actually have some pretty good state policies on substance abuse during the pregnancy. Again, uh, it's considered uh, child abuse. Any entity must report if there is a positive uh, drug test, but the drug testing during pregnancy isn't considered mandatory unless there's a suspicion on behalf of the medical provider. And then pregnant people are given priority access in the general programs that are targeting addicted substance abusers who are pregnant. So they get moved to the front of the line on something like that because there's not just the mother, but there's two lives that we're dealing with. I think that those laws are very, very reasonable in the state of Arizona. There are definitely a lot of other states that don't do as much as Arizona does. 24 states and the District of Columbia consider substance abuse during pregnancy to be child abuse under civil 
child welfare statutes and three considerate grounds for civil commitment. 24 states and the District of Columbia is not as many as I think it should be. That's just my personal opinion, not the opinion of the agency or anybody else. But that is that is not as high as I, I think that it should be. Ten states prohibit policy funded drug treatment programs from discriminating against pregnant people. Only 10. I would think that it would just be an anti-discrimination law that if somebody could use in their favor, if they felt like they were being discriminated against, they, okay. they could discrimination to an authority that could intercede. There was data from a national survey that showed among pregnant women, about 10% had at least one al- alcoholic drink in the past 30 days. I will say that for women that this has happened to, I think that number is so high because a lot of women may have had an alcoholic drink prior to knowing that they were pregnant. Out of those 10%, those using alcohol, 40% also used other substances, most often tobacco and marijuana. So the impact of poly substance use on infants is not well known. And I think that that is something that is scary. I mean, not just for an adoptive family or a birth mom, but for society in general. We don't know 25 years from now what this is going to look like. And I think that that's something that we have to accept as a society. And this is where research is so important because together as a society, we have to make sure that we are preparing ourselves to Come what may, we we just don't know at this point. Now, what surprises me about that statistic is that they don't know. Now, if you were to say we don't know what the effects of fentanyl are going are going to be in twenty five years, that would make sense because that's only really skyrocketed and even come into use as recreational drugs in what about two thousand thirteen. So I understand not having long-term surveys when it comes to that, but what about, I mean, alcohol has been prevalent forever. Tobacco has been prevalent forever. You know, these things, and now those aren't even the harder drugs. Same with heroin. It's been around. Cocaine, crack, all these others have been around, you know. So I don't understand why they don't know more about those, for instance. I can provide an answer. Okay. And Thank goodness. <laughs> probably less general than you're going to hope for, but there's too many variables. And the people that you want to study the behavior of using X drug or Y drug are not going to, you know, probably put their best foot forward in what's really going on. So you've got, you know, not very reliable reporting sources. You also have body chemistry that's going to react different because somebody's genetics may be, you know, that drug may be more significant in their system than somebody else. Uh, The timing, when the drug was used, how often the drug was used, what other drugs were used in combination with that. Was there anything laced in that drug? So there's so many variables. And like I said, not probably not very accurate reporting in terms of data. And so to be able to say, well, you know, we predict X or we predict Y is really probably a liability because we don't know there's not enough accurate. Reliable. Right. Yeah. Yeah, That's the main thing. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. 
And I think that, you know, what we can do, you know, as an adoption agency, as we are educating our adoptive families is say, this is what we see. Because again, we're not performing any research studies. We can only state what we see. We're not medical providers. We're not scientists. So what we see is X, you know, what we see is Y. Do we see or have we heard of a lot of long-term damage you know, being done to the children that that we have um, placed for adoption? No, that's not to say that we've, you know, never heard of anything. Can we attribute that to drug use? Not necessarily. So again, you've got possible substance use that may impact the way a child uh, develops, grows, matures. But we don't know if that can be attributed solely to the drug use or if there are other factors that may come into play as well. Well, one thing that, okay, so you did mention the problem of self-reporting, and that is a big problem. I mean, as an adoption agency, you're not going to get honest answers about what's being used and when and all that. However, when the baby is born and they're in the hospital, they're tested for these different substances. And so you know that a portion of these babies are definitely, you know, withdrawing from different things and the mother there's blood tests on them or urine tests on them when they're in the hospital. And so we know that there is some drugs, you know, you may not know exactly what and how much of each one, but you would think there would be a little bit more uh, specific long-term. Okay. This is what we've seen in these. And like you said, what you guys have seen, there haven't been a whole lot of long-term effects on these kids. We know of. Right. Um, you see more than meconium now. Also, they have started doing some um, cord blood testing. I know from the, the umbilical cord. Um, but there's, again, it's like a race to keep up with the drugs that are coming in. Um, and not every baby is necessarily tested. If there's no suspicion of drug use, they don't automatically in the state of Arizona test every baby. Hmm. So there has to be either, you know, a report, maybe if there's no prenatal care, uh, that's one of the main reasons the hospitals will test if a mom has not gotten prenatal care. Um, if there's not a report from like a case manager or a DCS history, because the nurses can go in and look and see if there's a previous history of mom having a baby that was substance born, exposed, born uh, in the past. Mm-hmm. And so we really have to like I said, work with our clients because we do want to provide as much information as possible. You know, another really important factor for both adoption agencies, adoptive families and birth mothers to understand that collectively as an agency, and I can only speak for our agency, you know, we collect the information when we bring the mother into our program. So if you can imagine, you know, a birth mother on the street, she's used drugs and she comes in and she's meeting everybody for the first time. And she sits down and when we do the intake, we talk to her and explain that, you know, we don't drug test, that we want to find out the information because we want to be able to match her with a family that is ready and prepared for whatever substances um, may affect their child or not. And so there's no reason for a mom to not disclose everything because she is going to get the same resources and services in our program, regardless of what drug she uses or doesn't use. When it comes to that, what percentage do you think, I'm sure it's higher than it would be otherwise, obviously, but what percentage do you think are actually honest 
when it comes to that or because I'm sure there's some shame involved, embarrassment and all that. Nobody wants to admit that they've done something wrong or continue to, you know, but so what do you think the percentages of honesty when it comes to those? I don't even know that I could throw out a number. I know Mm -hmm. that when we have a mom that says I've done X, Y, and Z or has a history of it, then I always think, okay, so if, if we've admitted to this and there may be more, there may not be, but there may be more. I know that as time goes on, you know, it's natural for somebody to become more comfortable in sharing more about themselves. And so as we move through their adoption journey with them, we often learn more and more and more. I wouldn't even be comfortable throwing out a number because I would have no idea. I have found that birth mothers that are placing for the second time or third time are much more open and honest because they have a relationship with us and they trust us more. But somebody who is you know, living on the street and is in survival mode and trying to make it day to day, they're not um, as open and forthright. And again, I, I understand why. I understand. They're trying to just make it to the next day. And so they have to be able to trust to be able to open up. So again, we still see other drugs other than fentanyl, but that is the number one um most concerning and most, uh, I don't want to say popular because that's not the right. The most prevalent. Most prevalent. Yes. Thank you. Some of the research, according to mother to baby that we do know about fentanyl is that studies involving people who often use some opioids during their pregnancy have found an increased chance for outcomes, including uh, poor growth of the baby, uh, the baby having a stillbirth or, going into labor prior to 37 weeks of pregnancy and there may be some fetal distress during labor. So those are more commonly reported in moms who are taking uh, heroin or using prescribed pain medications in greater amounts for longer periods of time. And so those are some things that we do know. So can it make it harder for a person to get pregnant or for a birth father to impregnate? Do you know if fentanyl has any effect on that? There have not been any studies to my knowledge that have been done to see if fentanyl could make it harder, easier to get pregnant. One thing also, we don't know whether or not fentanyl increases the risk for miscarriage. Mm -hmm. And we don't know um, if there is a miscarriage, if that is a result of the fentanyl use or another complication that's unrelated to the fentanyl use. Okay, that's fair. Again, prefacing it that we're not doctors, we have seen that if there is fentanyl use, especially towards the end of the pregnancy, so the mom is um, actively addicted and is taking it with somewhat regularity, we have seen um, withdrawals and the babies are in the hospital, in the NICU for a while. Okay. The baby is born and... You know, it's it's very difficult. It's hard to watch a baby withdraw. It's hard to see the baby in pain. And fentanyl is a very hard drug to withdraw from. Do they know anything about breastfeeding with fentanyl? Not that we see a lot of that in the adoption world because, you know, the baby is adopted. But I'm just curious. So what, what has been reported is that the amounts of fentanyl that get into breast milk are small. Babies may have problems with the amounts of fentanyl in breast milk. So again, we would recommend uh, talking to the medical provider 
if a mom has used fentanyl, if it is in her milk and she wants to breastfeed again, like you said, very uncommon circumstance in the adoption world. Have we ever seen a mom want to breastfeed that was on fentanyl? Yes. And again, that's up to the doctor's discretion of whether or not they will allow that to happen. I think one of the other big questions that we get is does it incre- does fentanyl increase the risk of birth defects? What the studies show us is that three to five percent of pregnancies have a chance of having a birth defect. They refer to that as background risk. Based upon the studies reviewed, exposure to fentanyl is not expected to increase the chances for birth defects above the background risk. But again, we don't know because not every opioid is studied on its own. It's the class of drugs that is studied a lot of the times. And so, again, the research is very hard to filter through and and try to get a solid answer on because there are so many variables. I think the biggest takeaway from today's podcast is hopefully the understanding that there is no real definitive understanding. You know, we have some information, there is some data, there are some what are considered now facts, but they are few and far between. And I think, you know, every situation should be evaluated on a case-by-case basis for an adoptive family who is considering adopting a baby with a mom that has been using substances throughout her pregnancy, whether it's one or whether it's multiple. And I think, you know, her speaking with a medical provider is really the best advice that we can give. And she can make an informed decision based upon the recommendations and the advice of her medical provider. The outside sources for the information on today's podcast are the Guttmacher Institute's article titled Substance Use During Pregnancy, a mother-to-baby.org fact sheet on fentanyl, fentanyl abuse statistics at the National Center for Drug Abuse Statistics, Polysubstance Use During Pregnancy at CDC.org, and an article titled Substance Use in Pregnancy by Mary Kay Prince and Derek Ayers at the NCBI Bookshelf, a service of the National Library of Medicine, National Institute of Health, Stat Pearls Publishing from January 2022. We have a pregnancy crisis hotline available 24-7 by phone or text at 623-695-4112, or you can reach us on our toll-free number 1-800-340-9665. We can make an immediate appointment with you to get you to a safe place, provide food and clothing, and help you get started on creating an Arizona adoption plan, or just give you more information. Check out our blogs on our website at azpregnancyhelp.com and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by looking for AZ Adopt Podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, make sure to rate and review us on whatever platform you use to listen to us and tell your friends about us. Birth Mother Matters in Adoption was written and produced by Kelly Rourke Scary and edited by me. Thanks go out to Grapes for letting us use their song, I Don't Know, as our theme song. Join us next time on Birth Mother Matters in Adoption. For Kelly Rourke Scary, I'm Ron Rains, and we'll see you then.